We're on a thousand planets and spreading out. Bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's the bat pulse. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Before we begin today's discussion, Here is some genre-related news. HBO Max has canceled its animated Batman Cape Crusader, which had been ordered to series last May. The show is one of six animated projects which have been axed as Warner Brothers Discovery moves away from offering kids and family content. The strategy is in line with CEO David Zaslev's shift in priorities, which was announced during the company's recent earnings call. The other canceled shows are Merry Little Batman, The Day the Earth Blew Up, a Looney Tunes movie, Bye Bye Bunny, a Looney Tunes musical, Did I Do That to the Holidays, a Steve Urkel story, and The Amazing World of Gumball the Movie. Although canceled for HBO Max, Production on all six series continues, with plans to shop them to other platforms. And in keeping with the confusion at Warner Brothers Discovery theme, a number of movie release dates were announced this week. Movie release date changes, that is. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom will open in theaters on December 23, 2023, rather than March 17th. Shazam! Fury of the Gods will now release on that date rather than its previously scheduled December 21st, 2022 opening. Other schedule changes include Evil Dead Rise, which has been scheduled for April 4th, 2023, and The Conjuring spinoff sequel The Nun 2, which will be released on September 8th, 2023, and Salem's Lot, which was slated for April 21st, 2023, is being moved to a yet-to-be-announced date in the same year. It was reported earlier this week that a live-action King Kong series is in early development stages for Disney+. The series is projected as a serialized drama exploring Kong's origins and the mysteries of his island home. The show will apparently be based on Marion C. Cooper's original King Kong, as well as recent novelizations by Joe DeVito, produced in conjunction with the Cooper estate. This is the second live-action show about iconic monster movie monsters, set up at a streaming service following Apple TV's Godzilla and the Titans series. Umbrella Academy has been renewed for what will be its fourth and final season on Netflix, and Game of the Game of Thrones spin-off House of the Dragon has received an early renewal for a second season on HBO. Last weekend's premiere episode set an HBO record for the premiere of a new show. The live-action Resident Evil series 
which debuted July 14th on Netflix, has been canceled. Nominees were announced last week for the 2022 Ignatz Awards, named for the character in the classic comic strip Crazy Cat by George Harriman, the Ignatz is the festival prize of the Small Press Expo. Since 1997, the award has recognized outstanding achievement in comics and cartooning. The Ignatz recognizes exceptional work that challenges popular notions of what comics can achieve, both as an art form and as a means of personal expression. You can view a complete list of nominees on one of the Fantastic Forum social media pages. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We love to be liked and we like to be followed. The 2022 Ignatz Awards will be presented at a ceremony on the evening of Saturday, September 17th during this year's SPX. During this week's Creation Entertainment Star Trek Las Vegas convention, the Gene Roddenberry Estate and cloud graphic company Otoy provided fans with a first look at the Roddenberry Archive, the first interactive life-sized recreations of the Starship Enterprise. A one-to-one -one scale Enterprise models and sets have been recreated according to Star Trek canon to visualize the history of Star Trek in new holographic mediums. Viewers were able to explore the first deck of the Enterprise created for Star Trek's first pilot. The fully immersive interactive 360-degree experience allows audiences to navigate around the Starship Enterprise bridge and even sit in Captain Pike's chair as if they were there on set of the cage in 1964. The Roddenberry Archive, Immersive Experience, and behind-the-scenes video logs are available for the public to view online. Actor Ezra Miller has reportedly apologized to Warner Brothers film chairs Michael DeLuca and Pam Abdi for recent erratic behavior, as well as having brought negative attention to the upcoming The Flash movie and the company. Miller apparently agreed to face their controversies amid speculation that The Flash would be canceled by Warner Brothers Discovery. The apology comes in the aftermath of Miller's announcement that they are seeking mental health treatment following a series of arrests and other legal issues. It would seem that the studio was reluctant to cancel release of The Flash as the film is reportedly testing very well and being described as one of the studio's most crowd-pleasing movies that audiences have responded to, and that the film's numbers are the highest of any DCEU movie, although there is concern that Miller's behavior could cause the movie to perform poorly at the box office. The Flash remains on the schedule for theatrical release on June 23, 2023. It was reported earlier this week that Warner Brothers Discovery is holding secret screenings of Batgirl for a select group of insiders. Described as funeral screenings before the film's footage is locked away for good, cast and crew who worked on the picture as well as representatives and executives have been able to view the rough cut. Another nearly completed cancel film that had a funeral screening this week on the Warner lot was Scoob Holiday Haunt. And we're saddened 
to learn of the death of comic book illustrator Tom Palmer on August 18th. He was best known as an inker on a variety of Marvel Comics projects. Palmer frequently inked such pencilers as Gene Colan, Neil Adams, and John Buscema. He was 79. And comics artist Lily Renee Phillips passed away on August 24th. Phillips, a member of the Comic-Con International Hall of Fame, was best known as one of the earliest women to work in the comic book industry during the Golden Age. She was 101. Today, we're talking about some of these news items, and in particular, differences we've noted between the original comics, source material, and adapted movie and television projects. Joining me are Drew Bittner, Julian Lytle, and Mike Lunsford. Uh, everybody, uh, well, we'll get everybody on here in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, good gracious. Sure. Okay. Howdy. Yeah, Howdy. yeah. Um, yes, so, all right, before we get into some of this, uh, does anybody have anything that they want to say about uh, some of these other items that I mentioned? Uh, because obviously the topic we have for today could potentially be meaty, but um, I wasn't sure whether a noted inker like Tom Palmer deserved a couple of extra minutes or you know whether you guys had something you wanted to say about these funeral screenings of Batgirl or um, you know perhaps the fact that Ezra Miller has uh, decided to seek treatment, uh, or what, you know? Um, okay, well, Tom Palmer was awesome. Uh, it stinks that Batgirl's being shelved and put away, like, so unceremoniously as that. It stinks that Warner Brothers is canceling all of its animated stuff. And, um, and what was the last one? <laughs> <laughs> Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad he's getting treatment, but um, I, I they, feel like kind of the damage is done, so, you know. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll see how good this Flash movie that they say tests so well, because I don't really respect test audiences like that, because it's a bunch of people who go to test audience, test viewings, viewings all the time in L.A. They don't want to speak for everybody. They got nothing else to do. And <laughs> who are they picking? The <laughs> who are they picking? Who are they picking? Just people that scrape up off the street. We can tell by the, by, by critic viewings here, or just the press screenings here when a movie's about to come out. It's always it's a lot of the same people. That don't mean I trust these the people. The people <laughs> that choose are a lot like me. They're easily impressed. And um, <laughs> have hope that some of these things get picked up, because I think in the end greed will win. So even though we won't see them HBO Max, it will crack me up. If a lot of these things end up on Netflix, I will kill over in laughter at they the can. switching of the prospects of the two streaming or networks. Cartoon Network. <laughs> nah, because he don't want to put it on air. So mm. probably. So, Mike, mm. what do you think? I just like. I'm very happy that Ezra Miller is getting the help that they need. However, like. Where's the line get drawn with this with with them? Like <laughs> the how many times does something bad have to come out before Warner Brothers finally decides to do something about this? And really it sounds like it wasn't even Warner Brothers prompted it sounded like Ezra was the one that came to them about it. Mm. And like they just seem to just keep turning turning a blind eye to it. They're just like, "Well, there's more bad news, but uh, we put a lot of money into this movie." Like it Okay, you put a lot of money into Batgirl too. 
Like, the whole thing is just, like, I want to see the movie just because, like, I, I love the Flash, I love the character, but, like, I'm almost turned off to it at this point because it's, it's, I know we've talked about it on Fantastic Forum before that, like, you can separate art and artist, but, like, I, it's, it's difficult for me to do that, especially knowing all that we know about what they've done. And it's just, like, it, it's too much for me. I'm, I'm honestly kind of indifferent at this point. I, I could take or leave, you know, seeing The Flash. So maybe that makes me an outlier in this group. But, uh, you know, I just don't feel like... Um, I, I feel like Ezra's had enough chances. And, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but maybe that's not the, the most generous thing I could do. But, you know, like, like you said, Mike, I mean, how much is enough? So... Well... I, I, here, here's the thing with this, and Mike, you mentioned that they spent a lot of money on, on Batgirl too. The distinction is they spent more money on The Flash. In fact, they spent about <coughs> half as money on Batgirl, as much money on Batgirl as they did on The Flash. Mm. And that represents a sizable investment. It's more in line with the blockbuster philosophy that uh, they are pivoting to. And too big to fail. Yeah, kind of is where they are. And, you know, it's interesting you mention that because the other reason that it is unlikely that they are going to can't, I mean, not that they wouldn't, but it would take a lot more than this guy has, excuse me, than, than <laughs> they have done, the actor has done so far uh, to, yeah, which is part of the reason I think they came in in the first place to apologize because, you know, somebody's like, hey, this bat crap crazy behavior of yours is about to torpedo a 200 million dollar film and mm -hmm. you know so they're like oh crap yeah gee i guess i should go and tell them i'm sorry and i think there also though has been a recognition on ezra, ezra miller's part that they do need some kind of treatment in fact there was a there was a statement that they made talking about yeah I've recognized how jacked up I am and you know mental mental health in jeopardy and I need treatment and that's what I'm going to do but they 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 were in a position and a lot of people don't get they wasn't that Batgirl was a bad movie in fact every based on what I'm hearing even though the movie wasn't completed it, it, it was a pretty good movie and the sad thing is unlike. Uh, the Justice League, um, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League, this movie is not likely to see the light of day at all. And the problem is the mechanism that they have used in terms of this tax write-off, because that means that you can't sell it to anybody else. You can't, I mean, they, in fact, they may destroy the footage in an effort to assure the IRS that they don't have any intention of ever releasing it. Mm. Also, Zack Snyder had a rough cut of the film on his laptop. He had footage. The, these guys, who are the directors, they have no footage. They have nothing. Wow. You know, so it isn't as if there is there's any alternative. Someone must save this. Hopefully, someone is of a some a, a some more gray, loving ninja, <laughs> a more gray area in terms of uh, being in that projector room when they show these funeral screenings that uh. I, you know, I mean, the idea of funeral screenings itself is just kind of sad. <laughs> well, it, it's too oh, yeah, bad. Oh, you just pay the taxes. That's all yeah, you just pay the taxes. Yeah, well, and, and there is that, you know, and it's too bad that this is the mechanism that they have decided to use 
in, in order to um, try and recoup this money. Oh, you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I am Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Drew Bittner and Julian Lytle and Mike Lunsford. And we've been talking a little bit about the recent, well, uh, we, were start, we were talking about Ezra Miller making an apology to Warner Brothers executives, and that kind of slid into talk about the cancellation of Batgirl, because the reason Ezra Miller was making the apology was to keep, make sure his movie, the, excuse me, their movie, The Flash, was not canceled by Warner Brothers. And we were talking about various possible permutations of that and how all that uh, came about and the likelihood that the flash could also meet an untimely end and um yeah it, it's it's unfortunate though julian that this is the mechanism that they've used because i understand that this strategy may be one of these penny wise pound foolish well, it's uh, looking that way. Yeah. When you mm. lose uh, tens of billions of market cap because of your decisions Thank you. lose confidence. Thank you. And your investors. Thank mm-hmm. you. I mean, uh, they've lost like 20, uh, 20 30 billion in market because, cap. And yeah, to trying to write off three billion yeah, in law. Yeah. I mean, that's. And their ooh. stock is tanking like yeah. on a daily basis. It just so continues like, to plummet. That's yeah. crazy. It's like you can't put that much faith into stocks, into the stock investor class, because it works off confidence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people actually. They only understand the stock game. They don't make anything. Right. So oh, the difference they, between they know moving money. They, but, they, that's, but that but that's literally it's not making anything. There's a yeah. there's a difference why you respect, you know, let's say when you think about old uh old twentieth century American business leaders, they're all first generation because they all made something essentially. Mm-hmm. Even with the the studios. They all made something. Now you got a bunch of MBAs talking to a bunch of investor class investor people. Managing funds mm-hmm. on the floor. Yep. Money None of these people make any funds. Managers. They have no ideas in that regard. They have ideas on how to make money. They know how to read some data, but they don't know how to make anything new. Right. And that's no, why no. we're losing our soft, our soft power to other nations, where a bunch of people are smart enough to let the people who make ideas make the ideas, and they just give them. They, they make them here. You need the money to make this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yes, K-pop will blow up because. Yeah. Their, their music business people are smart enough to let yeah. people who know how to make things make the things exactly. and they figure out how to sell it and Korea's soft, co- soft pop power soft, is growing soft power is exploding it's growing yeah Japanese is getting stronger even as their population small yeah. shrinks because Dragon Ball was the number one movie in the in the America Crazy. in America Crazy. so I got loud because I got hype that's <laughs> an adaptation that's not an adaptation that's canon that's canon <laughs> But but no, it gets worse. But no, it's true. It gets worse than that too, though. Like it, it's not just the not. Well, I mean, it, it ties in with the cre- creativity aspect. But it's lazy because a perfect example, like you were just talking about the music industry. The American music industry right now basically has seen that TikTok makes things popular, so that's where they're going to. They're like, put it on TikTok, and they're not seeing that that's not a sustainable future. Right. It's a short-term investment that will get you a pop, 
It'll skyrocket the numbers for a quick second, and then there's no sustainability. You're forgotten as soon as you've created it. And it just becomes something that's lost in that short-term memory that that all of society has. Like, hey, remember this thing 10 years from now we'll be talking about? And most people will be like, no, not really, because it didn't have any staying power. And that's the difference, and that's what you're seeing, is it's all about short gains. That's exactly what Warner Brothers is doing right now. And really it shows what happens when somebody who is a TV executive takes over an entire media conglomerate. Then mm-hmm. he's was thinking, oh well, this would work great for the TV network, but that's that's not what you have anymore, homie. And well, like, well, and well, it's so much bigger than that. Well, with that, I would say it's a, I would say it's a linear, small reality TV based cable type network. Because remember, Bob Iger ran ABC Studios, <laughs> and then he took over Disney. And the Disney we think of now, because Bob Iger was beast mode. Yeah, yeah. He was like, I'm a. Oh, you don't want that no more, George? Let me take that off your hands. Mm-hmm. Yo, Marvel looking real good. We we reek with them boys. Cartoon Network kicking our butt. We gonna buy Marvel. Yeah, run that. <laughs> take that. Take that. Take that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jobs, you don't you don't. Let me get that Pixar up off you. <laughs> Steve is like, yeah, I got you. I went on that. I went on that board though. Yeah, mm. yeah. you know what I'm saying. So it's not all TV people. It's just. Might make a good point though. This is like sugar rush thinking. This is this is quarter by quarter, not year by year or decade by decade thinking and it's the it's the short term short-sighted you know maximize your profit now squeeze out every dime you can and don't worry about tomorrow because there'll be more suckers to pay more money tomorrow yeah and it's that's a very 80s mentality it is it's it's very it's very stupid it's very it's very you know let's let's burn down the forest to to light you know the the village for a night and then, oh, geez, we don't have any more forest. Well, you know, there's also a lot of fear that's involved with a strategy like this. I've been watching a number of documentaries lately. Uh, there's one on Vice. There's another one that just dropped on Disney uh, about the making of the original Star Wars, that yeah. first Star Wars that Vice, picture. The Vice went fire. The first, oh, three, yeah. the, the first two episodes, <laughs> ain't nobody ever talked to uh, George Lucas' ex-wife. And she's all in it. And Thank I'm like, you! I was like, wow. She, Thank you, Marsha Lucas. She, yes. Oh, she's the one that made all the best. She made all the best part. She did. God. Thank you. Thank I'm like, look you. at you, Vice. But guess who, what's funny about that? Guess who mm-hmm. has a nice big stake in Vice? Who's that? The Walt Disney Corporation. Hmm. <laughs> Along with Hearst. Along with Hearst. Who they also share ownership over ESPN. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt them to sort of demythologize Lucas it's a little okay. bit. It's okay. It's all good. <laughs> It's all, it all helps the story in the end. It helps, it helps, it you know? helps, it helps the brand, and but it, it, it takes a little luster off George. Well, so. and, and it's great because watching all of these, because George Lucas himself features prominently on the Disney version, but Marsha Lucas, again, on that Vice one, and she is just, she's dropping the knowledge as the expression goes. But where I was going with all of this was, it's interesting how close that movie came to never, well, excuse me, not never having been made, but never having been completed because there were cost overruns, there were all sorts of issues in terms of the development of the effects mm-hmm. and everything that went into that. And it, it was fortunate for Lucas that Alan Ladd Jr. was the one who was in charge of Fox at the time. And even so, the board he was, was yeah he yeah was, he they was, were leaning on oh, everybody. He, I was like, this is a, 
captivating <laughs> two hours. He came, he came really close getting canned hard. Yeah, it, it, it is no joke. And it, ju- it it is fortunate for everyone involved that the movie turned out to be the biggest movie of all time at the time. <laughs> because yeah. that justified everything that happened. But that that is exactly why I say that there's a good deal of fear involved. Because most of the time you end up not making the biggest movie of all time. And so a lot of people can lose their shirts on investments like this. And so I understand the desire to be judicious about how you make some of these decisions. It's just regrettable that that level of financial prudence, fiscal prudence, if you will, is not necessarily in line with the creative process or what it takes to bring a creative project of that magnitude to market. There's there's a fine line between prudence and cowardice. And it's real and, fine, and, Drew. And, and that's <laughs> real and, fine. And that said, I mean the people that are creating these things, they're not spending their money. They're spending the studio's money. Sometimes. And Sometimes. And the studio and the people that are paying for it, they need some reassurance that they're getting something for it. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And, you know, you never you never really know. I mean, there's a lot of things that look like solid, sure bets in Hollywood history that did not yes. pay off. Hey, for every yeah. Star so. Wars, there's a Yor, the hunter from the future. I don't even know what you're talking about. That, that's exactly what I mean. That, that's the point. <laughs> what, was, what was the one with Dustin Hoffman and uh, Warren Beatty? Ishtar. And, uh, Ishtar. Ooh, Ishtar. Ishtar. Yeah. Yo, I never watched yeah. Ishtar. I only oh, you, know you're about not missing Ish- anything. I only know about Ishtar from <laughs> Mad Magazine and Cracked because they were having, they had a field day. Oh, they went after that making fun of that movie oh. that I never saw. Like even if it came on TV, I'm like. Yo, I don't even know why this is called Ishtar. I don't. I'm not looking at this. What is Ishtar? Like, oh, uh, Chinese Connection on on Channel 50. What? That's what we watching. But isn't uh, 2012 the, on the, the the Ben Affleck Jennifer Lopez movie Giggly? I think Gigli. it's called Geely. Geely. Sorry, Gigli. isn't that worse? Kevin Smith. Ishtar. Kevin Smith. His his absolute nadir as a filmmaker. <sighs> so nah, yeah. it can't be. You know what? I watched Geely. It's not terrible. It's, it's I've bad. seen worse movies. Of course, yeah, but it's, it's just, just pretty like bad. super expensive. <laughs> it's a waste of time. There you go. I, kind of, I should have said unsuccessful because that was the key with Ishtar. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I I haven't seen all of Ishtar. I I mean, it, it's been on. <laughs> I flipped by it. I didn't. I, I, I can. I, my recollection is I wasn't disgusted by it or you know i mean it, it just so happens that it was not a success it wasn't a, it wasn't a financially successful film is bottom line you know and so hey what but, do you do but then doesn't mm-hmm. happen and and warren b bounced back in dick Tra- in dick tracy so <laughs> you know well and it's warren funny Brady you mentioned that because yet another film <laughs> that was not the most financially successful you, you know <laughs> you know what you can say that but yo going by the ads and my kid brain, 
it was like, oh, we out here. We oh, I like it's it. Batman, and then it's Dick Tracy came out the next year. Yeah, and Dick Tracy looked like the cartoon, and they I had the it. dope poster with just the silhouette. Yeah, and then there was there was a McDonald's down on three hundred one down at Waldorf, and they made the whole thing look like the fifty like a fifties or forties, and they had a Dick Tracy in the phone booth on the oh, bike. Wow. That was the best McDonald's on earth. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we, had 50, we had a fifty McDonald's here in uh, in Woodbridge in the town I grew up in, but yeah, yeah. breathless mm, yeah. Yeah. Dick Tracy, I watched Dick Tracy to this day. I had the little audio tape book. When you talk about adapt, talk about adaptations. It's a great adaptation. Dad yeah, Junior's yeah. Dick it yeah. is Tracy. A great, thank you. Yeah. It is a was, great one. It, it probably it had an awesome. It had an awesome Nintendo game that went. Oh, with it and, yeah. and peak Madonna. Peak, peak Madonna. That was yeah. Oh, Madonna is breathless. And, and all the characters look just like the the brow. And, flat and, top. And, and the blank was like it was the okay. question. That was the question. Oh, so good. Yeah. It is possibly the best, the most accurate comic book adaptation ever made. Well, wouldn't it be comic strip adaptation? Thank you. Yes. Because I would say the most accurate comic book adaptation is Forever Sin City. It's it's also Hmm. got a really good soundtrack. I'm going to throw that out there. Because it's it's, it's, it's dancing. I would would say one of the best partial adaptations is probably Watchmen. Because it got like. Only, like only the five hour. there. Only the five hour. Only, yeah, only, only the extra disco dan- dance length version. Yeah, so. That's super <laughs> duper. You got the pirate story and yeah. the documentary folded yeah. in. Yeah, and, it's, uh, it's really, it's really like miniseries stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, that's what they should have been in the first place. It was too early. They weren't, yeah. they weren't built for that. Yeah. Exactly. Too soon. That movie gave us Zack Snyder in DC. Damn. You know, that's for an X Men too. It's it's good that because this is going to make a great segue to that other topic in terms of the differences between Ad- projects Ad- like this and the original source material <laughs> that is coming up in the second half of the show because the musical cue you hear sneaking into the background indicates that we have reached the end of the first half of the show and of course W E R A. FM is the station that hosts Fantastic Forum. I guess that's the right way to say it. You know, we uh, come to you uh, because we are on this station. It's a community radio station, which means, among other things, that it's non-commercial. And WERA relies on the generosity of our listeners, our sponsors, and the program underwriters for its continued operation. Visit the website at WERA.FM or that of our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media, at ArlingtonMedia.org to find out how you can make your tax-deductible gift in support of community media today. But we're going to be back right after this because eh, we still got some other stuff that uh, we are talking about here today on fantastic forum and um, I'm really going to enjoy finding out what you think about some of this other stuff Uh, hey because I'm just like that but stick around and we'll be right back
And we're back here on the Fantastic Forum, right here on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia, and streaming online at WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Mike Lunsford, Julian Lytle, and Drew Bittner. We were talking about, well, we were talking about a number of things in the first half of the show, but we were just getting ready to pivot to talking about the very popular, uh, gee, what do I want to call them, uh, comic book adaptations that are on television and in the movies and how they differ from the original source material and uh, the first thing that I am going to say is that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because there are a lot of differences between the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the comic books that I grew up on and two of them that I'm going to mention two that really bother me perhaps these things bother me more than anything else in any of these movies one is Thanos Thanos in the MCU wanted to kill half the people I always call him like a super friends villain because he really wanted to help everybody by making sure that the scarce resources we have in the universe would not be taken up so you kill half the people and the other half live in a paradise well my friends that's crap because in the comic books Thanos wanted to kill everybody all life in the universe as a gift to the personification of death with whom he was in love. This guy was really twisted. So <laughs> wasn't like he wanted to kill half of everybody. He was just lovelorn. <laughs> you know? And, and, he, was, and he was sprung. We who do crazy who among us does not understand that? But mm. the other thing is, and shockingly, this kind of bothers me even more, Captain America's shield is not made out of vibranium. Well, it's not made out of vibranium in the Marvel comic book universe. It is a vibranium adamantium alloy, excuse me, an adamantium vibranium alloy, more precisely, that was created in an unduplicatable metallurgical experiment. But the damn thing has got adamantium in it, and that's how it can be so strong. And vibranium ain't adamantium, and the MCU has really taken horrible advantage they, they of that. Didn't ha they didn't have adamantium yet. That's you had right. to buy Fox first. You know, yeah. the, it, see, the thing about that, Julian, I'm really confused because... It's weird, right? It's yes, weird. Yes, because they like, should have... How do they have, have rights to Adamantium when it's, that's not even a character? Yeah. That's not a character. Well, beyond yeah. that, it debuted in The Avengers. <laughs> yeah. That was the first comic book where Adamantium was ever mentioned. I know that it has become associated with the X-Men because it laces Wolverine's bones. Wolverine. But all somebody had to do was to say, wait a minute. Avengers, I want to say it was Avengers number 65, uh, if, well, if my memory going serves. By, going by that, technically, Rogue is an Avengers character. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, because she debuted is. in a giant-sized Avengers mm -hmm. issue. But it yes. is what it is. They'll, they'll They'll fix it after the Secret Wars. Yes. I imagine that they will <laughs> now that everything is back under on one roof. But, yeah, those are just a couple everything of things. Everything but Hulk. Everything with Hulk, everything and so Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man really isn't yet, so yeah, and you know. probably won't ever be <laughs> Sony. No. But but it doesn't matter because they can use him. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. and and that's all you really want. You know? so and my, and they got Tunica, three. 
and Sony can keep on pumping out bad knockoff movies. <laughs> so they're okay. okay. They're okay movies. Morbius isn't. Yeah. I enjoy Morbius <laughs> and I enjoy Thor four. I agree. I will. Well, I will fight people over that. I, I will break people's limbs. I understand that. Over I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, okay with, I'm okay with you liking it more than Thor four. I personally did not like it more than Thor four, but that's okay. I think it's a better written movie. <laughs> that's how bad I think Thor four is. Uh, Thor four had its faults, but Morbius was just the absolute worst collection of stuff that Marvel Phase one was doing. So. Well, uh, in the meantime, so Mike, <laughs> what, 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 you, what, what do you think? Adaptations, man. <laughs> Get us back on track Come here, Come on, Mike, dude. jump in. <laughs> I just, like, I'm, I'm digging through the Wikipedia page with Dick Tracy, man. I got to watch this movie again. Yeah. You know, I, remember, I remember seeing it in the theaters when I was a kid. I remember, like, lo- like just absolutely love I had freaking Dick Tracy bed sheets when I was a kid. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was dope. And I really enjoyed the movie, but I probably haven't seen it in like 20 years. I mean, it came out in 1990. So, shoot, 32 years is wow, man, I'm old. You um, you didn't you'd enjoy <laughs> seeing it again. It's a very colorful movie. Uh, yeah. it's for Warren Booty Beatty. Listen Warren to Warren Booty. Booty. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's like not brand X or something. Mm. Yeah. No, but Warren Beatty really knows what he's doing. And yeah. he was the producer of that film. And the director and, directed it too. Yeah. 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 I mean so I and think it, he technically it, still has the rights to Dick Tracy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was just reading I was just reading huh. through that. It's a it's a whole giant legal nightmare right now of what's going on with the rights to that because he was trying to do a sequel hmm. and yeah, just it's a mess. Hopefully, in the last more more recently than the last twenty years. <laughs> yeah, old Dick um, Tracy. Old Dick Tracy. Yeah, old right? Tracy. <laughs> put I, on um, put on the trench coat one more time, Dick. <laughs> I just love the the talking into the watch though. Calling Dick Tracy. Calling Dick Tracy. Yeah, I just think that was yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Hey, that was, any um, time you take a look at these Apple watches. In fact, my sister has an Apple watch, and I always, when I'm telling her, I say, "Yeah, that's your Dick Tracy your watch." Tracy, so that's, Tracy. <laughs> that's what I call my Apple watch. I call it Dick Tracy. There oh, go. there you go. Hey. Mm-hmm. So ad- adaptations. Um, the big, the big one right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Drew. I'm yeah. just, I'm just gonna bogart over the, Mike. <laughs> the, the big, the big one right now. <laughs> I mean, and the host is going to let me do it too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, She-Hulk. I mean, Julian reviewed it. I've seen the first two episodes. I think you've seen the first two episodes. Maybe. I have, and in fact, it, it begs repeating that if you are interested in Julian Lytle's review, excuse me, Julian Lytle's Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, approved uh, review. Thank you. Tomato meter. There you go. <laughs> you can go to the Fantastic Forum Facebook page. You can also read the review of sometime uh, panelist, sometime host Shireen Nicole. And both those reviews were actually written for Adobe Radio. But hey, we like to share, and I assumed that it would be okay to share those reviews. I haven't heard any complaints yet but they're both very interesting especially Shireen's because she's a huge She-Hulk fan and she has a perspective on this thing that is truly unique but so yeah if you're interested you can read these reviews we're on the Fantastic Forum we're, Facebook we're, we're page but tomorrow night so we'll talk about it then <laughs> yeah but true um, okay, I'm I'm an old time She-Hulk fan too. I was I was a fan of Savage She-Hulk back when Stan and John Buscema created it. So, um, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of getting the She-Hulk that I was expecting to get from this project. I mean, you know, she's 
she's had her origin story kind of as a done in one. She has her law career and she's navigating issues. And, um, you know, I was talking with my wife and daughter about it and they said, yeah, the, the female issues thing is, is a little heavy handed. And I said, but consider that guys are so oblivious to some of this that, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be a little bit heavy on, you know, the issue, you know, talking about treatment in the workplace, talking about inequalities in dating and things like that. It's not not necessarily bad to bring up that perspective. No, that's true. But something, and, and Shireen actually raised this point in her review, one of the differences between this and the actual comics is, and I thought it was substantial because all that stuff you just said, Drew, is meaningful and relevant and it makes this thing extremely timely, but that wasn't Jennifer Walters' view of herself. You know, I mean, she embraced being She-Hulk. It wasn't like, oh, I don't ever want to turn to this character. I just want to practice law. But you I mean, know? Well, I mean the, it's like, wow. And, and, and I get that. I mean, mm-hmm. having seen two episodes, I feel like I'm, I'm okay with her not wanting to be a Hulk. Well, no, no, I, I, I understand this. that. It's just simply that the topic of the discussion are things uh, that are different. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, talking about She-Hulk is a whole different show. I want to do it, but, but we got to have Shireen on that wait, show wait, if we're going to okay. do it. Hmm? To, to continue this, I would say, let's say, let's compare and, and contrast, right? Uh, since we're in this wheelhouse of, let's say, the MCU way of adapting the material, and let's say, w- at least with television, the Berlanti way of adapting the DC material, whereas I think the MCU takes the um, they take the, the core pieces and build an entirely new version of the universe that keeps certain aspects, but uh, changes it in a way that's more adaptable to a more m- different audience and works now for this what is you could say what is the prime audience was the MCU audience, which I think the MCU overtakes the actual Marvel comic six one six. A universe as the core concept mm-hmm. whereas I would say Berlanti and the people he picked usually did a, a closer job in adapting actual stories and making things fit within television like Barry still was at a shelf full of chemicals and the lightning bolt hit him and knocked him out mm-hmm. um, Green Arrow was still stuck on the island they moved some pieces around, mm-hmm. but also some of that stuff happened from New 52 as well. So it was taken from a lot of different um, aspects of the changes that was happening in the company. So, like, yeah. who is Harrison Wells? He wasn't in Flash number one in 19. Well, no, he wasn't, but he sure was in Flash number one in the New 52. So, hmm. and, the, and the big antimatter or whatever wave. So it's, it's interesting that they take that step, and it'll be interesting to see uh, the viability of the the adapting practice whereas you even would say something within the Warner's film well you have uh, Sandman which is is let's say 92% exact and then you even have Watchmen which goes off into something else but still stays close yeah. but it's completely different because that gets into a, a business moral gray area mm-hmm. yeah the and boys you, too I mean which is yeah. then you get worlds to, apart then you get to the, from the independence where you have you have the boys and then you also have like invincible and then you have the walking dead which I think strays a lot in between what let's say Berlanti did with DC and then what Feige and his team is doing with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Well, but look, arguably, I mean, and, and I, I wasn't even, uh, although you're taking us to an interesting place because I wasn't even 
talking about the viability of the changes more the changes themselves i mean a lot of these things because i accept that the comics are their own thing and then the tv shows and the movies are their own thing it took me a while and i kind of had to ultimately drag myself kicking and screaming to it because i am one being something of a purist i i would always prefer that whatever is in the comics literally be just transposed to film and television but that doesn't always work and so your point being that what they're doing is effective because sometimes even in transitioning from one medium to another and particularly taking into consideration some of the cultural elements and the the more timely nature of uh, things that are happening socially it's appropriate to make certain changes that are going to appeal to this broader audience because surely the audience for the original source materials is extremely narrow and I'm being kind it was it was it but it always wasn't so I think it's it's debatable if this if it's effective we'll see time will tell shows that were popular 10 15 years ago ain't they ain't always thought of like uh, uh, well now so we'll see if the MCU television experiment is going to work 10 years mm. later, we'll see how well the MCU experiment works 20 years in. So, some of these knows? some of these things may not hold up, but I mean, I I would argue that for instance, like She-Hulk's origin. And she in the comic book, she gets a blood transfusion from Bruce yeah. deliberately because she's been shot and her life's in danger and so on. Mm-hmm. And this is after years and years of Bruce knowing that his blood is dangerous and so on, and especially in the MCU, they established that, that you know you can't just take Hulk's blood and like if you drink it or if you're exposed to it, it's, it's dangerous, it's toxic material. And having her accidentally exposed in this origin story, I think works better and and i think that what you're what you're where you're where you're going julian tell me if i'm wrong is that they're really taking kind of an ultimate universe approach to this stuff they're taking the the core idea they're reworking it and changing it to suit whatever they want to do and and there's and there's a lot of drawbacks to that i i will i will give you I actually, wait, 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 hold that thought sorry. just a second. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM, Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Mike Lunsford and Julian Lytle and Drew Bittner. And um, so, wait, Julian, you were getting ready to say something, then I want to pivot okay. back to Mike because he hadn't had a chance to get in here for a second. I, I would just say that actually I think what Feige and his team are doing is more in line to what uh, the people who was controlling DC Comics was when they did Crisis on Infinite Earths and how they was going to come out of Crisis. Because the ultimate line didn't have a much of a plan other than, like, we're getting out of debt. Let's try to refresh this. Some of that stuff didn't work because once Jeff Lowe did Ultimate 3 and 4, he kind of destroyed the ultimate line altogether. Yeah. Versus the way we think, for oh, a lot that of that ultimatum thing. Let's not talk about that trash. <laughs> it was oh man. It was very bad. It was a very lot of bad decisions, but it, it sold well. But I think in terms of they actually had a plan post crisis with DC, which you get into Legends, which you get into um, mm-hmm. Year One, uh, yeah. George Perez's Wonder Woman, certain things like that. And I think essentially, Man of Steel. Marvel Comics never needs to reboot because MCU is the reboot. Yeah. I'd agree, and and yeah. and Secret Wars is the reboot for them coming up. Okay, hold we'll up. All right, so Mike. Yeah, it's it's always funny because it, it's such a fine line when it comes to adaptation because 
for all of those who were like, I like these fresh takes. I like the different things they're doing with the characters, with the stories. There's the other contingent that is, you know, why couldn't you have just done it exactly like the comic book? Uh, those sorts of things. And it's it's hard to find a perfect balance with this. Um, I agree with what Julian was saying too. That MCU is kind of is is kind of their built-in failsafe of like, well, you know, if things get stale, guess what's canon now? Like, this is the new reset. This is the new reboot. This is the new you know crisis event. Like, it's they're building in the ability to just automatically reset it, and to a certain degree, that's kind of genius. And it's just funny how and we talked about this before at the very beginning of the episode about how a lot of creative a lot of people that are into creative industry but are not actually creative the people with all the uh, power are very lazy and are just taking and building off of what other creative people are doing um i.e we have to find the dceu's kevin feige like everybody has to try to copy what the other person is doing and like it's just sad to me because dc has such great content and has had such great content for such a long time that you could mind that and it, it, you really wouldn't have to do much. Like, no, I, all the, st- the templates are kind of there. Yeah. And, I, like, I, they I, just keep rehashing. We're I, now on, what, like, the fourth 10-year ten, ten plan in the last, like, five years? I agree. And I feel like, you know, if they, if they just made a good Superman movie without intending it to be a part of a, you know, DC universe, if they made a good Batman movie or Flash or what have you, you know, that's not necessarily meant to connect to all these other characters, then let it happen organically. I mean, they're trying to force it, and God knows, Marvel's living rent-free in DC's head with with all this stuff, because DC desperately wants to be doing what Marvel's doing, but they know they can't, and they haven't. Well, more precisely, Warner Brothers and and DC. Yeah, sure. But mm. it's just that that's that's where that's where it is, and and Warner Brothers, this makes them look ridiculous. They've been in business for how many decades now, and they can't do movies. Ah, wait, wait, they wait, can wait, do wait, 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 wait. You know, they can be- do movies. Yeah, but and and Drew, you know better than that because this whole big budget superhero movie thing started at Warner Brothers with Superman the movie. Yeah, I mean they they put this whole thing on the map. Now the fact that. Since then, <laughs> despite uh, four Superman, well, excuse me, I, well, one of those wasn't Warner Brothers, like Canon Entertainment or something, Superman 4, but they had four Superman movies, and they, let's face it, they had they had run out of ideas by the time they got to Superman 3, it was, but that's Warner Brothers also, hey, yeah. Richard Pryor is like the hot new thing, let's put him in this movie, <laughs> or the hot thing going, because he wasn't exactly new, but my point is, you got those movies, you got Batman, I mean, they could have been innovative and done the whole crossover universe thing, shared universe back then. In fact, I remember coming out of Superman the movie back in 1978 thinking, because Linda Carter was still on TV at the time with Wonder Woman, Batman hadn't been off TV that long, you know, the Adam West version, but at least you prove you put a guy in a costume and you get the car and this other stuff and you can do it. And Green Lantern, well, hey, that could have been a lot of animated effects. And you've got the Justice League right there. And I'm like, they need to do the Justice League. This is what needs to happen. And yet because it was Warner Brothers and they are old Hollywood and they know sequels, 
what you do is, oh, Superman the movie was successful, well, we're going to make Superman 2. Superman 2 was successful, we're going to make Superman 3. I mean, the next thing you go to is Batman, but I remember, and I've said this before too, I was at a comic convention in New York in 1980, they're passing out buttons that said 1980, Year of the Batman, but that movie didn't actually come out until 1989. And then you got Batman and Batman Returns and Batman and Robin Forever. and Batman Frays. So Batman Forever, Forever, yeah. But yeah. I, I was, I, I'll say this. The idea of a universe, because Hollywood likes to copy was successful. When oh, yeah. the MCU started, we can't count 2008 because, yes, Iron Man did well, but everyone likes to figure Incredible Hulk. It was Iron Man 2 and I think what the first Avenger where people was like, oh, okay. Okay. And Thor. Then, and then, but then, yeah, because Thor came out right around it. All of them came out, and it was like, oh, this is a thing. And then Avengers proved yeah, it was itself intentional. to be mm-hmm. successful. Mm-hmm. It was a gamble. No one knew this was going to work. I did not think it was going to work. Even when I saw Avengers, I was like, this might be too much for people. Hmm. You have to keep track of five other movies to understand this movie. I still think, in my heart of hearts, there will be a point where people become tired. They put out five, they putting out like five to six movies and five to six TV shows. So every month of the year, it's Marvel Entertainment on. You got to keep it together. All right, wait, wait, let, let me ask you something. So when you say uh, basically that there's going to be this fatigue that sets in, um, how is it going to manifest itself in terms of the audience? Is the audience literally going to turn off to it? I think it will, it will slowly fade, and those numbers won't be as yeah. high as they want. The I don't thing, think it'll be a. I don't think it'll be a stark thing. I'm with Julian. I think it'll just be kind of like a meh yeah. response. Like people will just stop showing up in the numbers that they but, show up. Now. But haven't we been through that already? Because after the success of these movies in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a there was a craze of superhero movies. I mean, and stuff like. Meteor Man and Blank Man I, and I would, Steel and all kind. I mean, everybody yeah, was making superhero movies. I would say movies. those technically are mm-hmm. black movies that are underfunded and undermarketed. But the real the real middle period is post Spider Man Two until Iron Man Two. But as I see that we probably get close to it on time, the next ad- adaptation wave is video games, and the video game audience is getting older with more money and bigger mm. sony has multiple projects in the in the pipeline so does nintendo so does microsoft when those hit the audience who wants to see superheroes will start to move over into the other thing with their own heroes sonic is is just the beginning yeah sonic is the beginning when mario comes on that screen we'll see the game the game will change Hmm. So, well, but they've also been doing the uh, video game movies. That's, for, that's I what mean, I'm talking about. Well, yeah, yeah, but, well, yeah, yeah, but they've been doing those for a while, too. They I was mean, trash. They, they didn't start getting good until the last couple of years. Yeah. It's literally Sonic the Hedgehog mm. and Detective Pikachu. Like Mario Brothers, don't look at that. Uncharted, <laughs> while not great, is decent. I still You'll see. It, but, like, yeah, no, I got to check it out. That'll be the next thing. I'm telling cool. y'all. I see the future. I see it. It's clear. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting, like certainly. And and you know, I wish that we had more time for this particular discussion because obviously there are a lot of different aspects to what we're talking about, 
and I'm not confident that the existing studios have conducted enough research. I mean, this stuff ain't new. I mean, 1978, Superman the movie. I mean, you know, you there you, you can observe trends since then and and figure out what has gone on and why certain things have been successful well, and why comic, certain things haven't. Comic been, books you know? are still largely victims of, you know, this bigotry against comic books. I mean, it seems as though Warner Brothers is rather embarrassed by what they publish and don't want to do superheroes. Mm. So I might be wrong, but that's how it feels. That is that is a question. Disney doesn't I, I would, care about I, comic books either. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, they care about money. Yeah. Anyway, so look, uh, that's all the time that we have for today's discussion. I'd like to thank my panelists and you too for having tuned in. You can check us out online at fantasticforum.tv. We've got a website. We've got episodes of the radio show. We've got episodes of the television version of the show. Uh, also, the show re-airs right here on WERA 96.7 FM each and every Thursday afternoon from 3 to 4. And thanks to our friends over at the Great Geek Refuge. Thanks, Mike. The show is available as a podcast. You can download the radio version podcast slash thingy everywhere you find your favorite Podcasts. And, of course, we are in first run right here on WERA each and every Saturday afternoon from 4 to 5. Come back next week, same bat time, same bat station. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, people.